Thank you, Jim. Good morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon, Babylon and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king gave an order. He ordered that Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, that he would bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family, from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. How many have read that before? Almost all of us. How many have read that and not seen your own circumstances, your own life in those words. I've been guilty of that. I'm no longer guilty of that. When I, when I read these words, and I've read them a lot recently, it, 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 it literally took my breath away. It caused me to, it didn't take my breath away that I passed out, but that I just paused and I said, wait a minute, this, this is describing a moment in, in history Specific human beings that are experiencing these events that literally changes everything in their life. After these events happened, nothing was familiar to these people. Nothing was the same. Now, can we connect to those ideas, those thoughts? I don't know about you, but there's been more than one time where I felt myself overwhelmed with all that's happening in my world and in this world and in my life. The Giants won five games in a row. (laughs) They're back in the hunt. You know what? I meant to ask you. You need to take that hat off in this house, in the house of God. No, I'm totally kidding. They won five games in a row. They're back in the hunt. They're going to get the, maybe get the wild card spot. Giants lost three in a row. They're out. Forget it. Back to what we, now I say that because it's, it shouldn't be overwhelming, right? But when you take everything that we experience, everything that we're facing, everything that's happening, let me add this word to it, the, the idea of change. When we try to comprehend and embrace the, the, the pace of change and the things that are changing and the things that are going away all put together, there's moments where it just feels like life is overwhelming. What do we do? How do we respond to that? Now, if we took the time this morning, I think we would, if we opened up and said, okay, so how have you responded in those moments? We'd get a wide variety of, of responses and answers, right? When, I, when, the, when the Giants won three, they lost their third one, and I went, ah, I had kind of a little meltdown, and, and then God convicted me, and you know, I'm putting too much importance in that. But seriously, there's, there's been moments where we've just wanted to give up. There's moments where we've wanted to run away. There's moments when we've wanted to bury our head in the sand and pretend that, you know, uh-huh, you know remember when you were a kid? 
Am I the only one that did that? Sorry, Dad, but when my dad was talking to me, giving me a lecture, you know, la, 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 I didn't take, and I didn't do this because I would have gotten spanked again, but, you know, I just, ha, 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 you know. We, we, we want to ignore, or maybe we just have a meltdown, or maybe we want to give up, or maybe we turn our focus, our attention to God and say, God, what are you doing? How can this be? For some of us, there's been those moments where we've just looked in the mirror and say, I don't have what I need to survive or to thrive through these days, these events. We read these verses in Daniel, and this morning, maybe it's obvious we're beginning a new series, a new study, Unshakable Hope in Uncertain Times. Unshakable hope. How, how do I live that way? How do I, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in him, and yet the reality of day-to-day is attacking that constantly. How do I live with unshakable hope in uncertain times? And we read these opening verses, and and I think we can be guilty of, it it feels very historical, but we don't stop and think, wait a minute, what, what does this mean for Daniel? What does it mean for his three friends? What does it mean for the people of God that the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and... And and next week we'll get a little bit more. Pastor Matt's going to take us a little bit more into the background and the timeline and and how all this happened. But there were several times when Nebuchadnezzar came to deport and take away. And and in this particular moment, he not only takes things, you see that he carried out, carried away the temple articles, meaning today he would come in and he would take our sound system. I don't know why he would want to, but... He would, take, he would take it and he would, he would have his guys take that and tear out, take the instruments and maybe, I don't know, with the cost of lumber, maybe he would take some of the wood and he would, well, these chairs are great and he would take the chairs, he would take the air conditioning units he, and, he, and whatever had any value he would take and then we'd show up the next Sunday and go, what in the world? But not only did he take stuff, he also took people. So I would have been taken. Think about, okay, two people get it, okay. Let it sink in. My wife's laughing, she got it right away. Do the rest of you there now? Did you listen to who they took? Yes, okay. They took people, they took the best of the best. Some they took and just moved them to some other place so that they could destroy any kind of structure, any kind of authority, any kind of stability in this part of the world. They depended on ruining that so that they could rule Judea from a distance, or at least keep them in submission to them. And so he did what he did to undo and destabilize everything that these people knew in their life. And it meant that for Daniel and the people of God, it meant everything was undone. Nothing was familiar. I want to walk back just for a few minutes, and I hope that you'll... I want to ask you to do a couple things. I want you to, to stick with me, as whether, whether the text is up here or you're reading in your Bible or maybe you're on your phone. The other thing I want you to do is to get ready to write some things down. So if you, it's a pen and a paper, do that Maybe for some of you. Anybody have notes on their phone? I love notes. You know what notes are? I'm the only one, two of us? Okay, thank you. You know, maybe that's how you, whatever it is, whatever your method is, but I want you to get ready because I'm convinced God is going to challenge you to write some things down. Let's go back to these opening verses of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, you can read about him not only here, but in 2 Chronicles 36, we're told that he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
You can also read about him in 2 Kings 24 and Jeremiah 26. And we need to understand that because the context of this happening is that the people of God have abandoned following God, loving God, worshiping God. And instead they're worshiping their phones. I'm just kidding, some of you are on your phones. They're worshiping other gods. Their pursuit is after other things and God doesn't matter to them and it includes the, the leaders, the kings. He's not the first, he won't be the last. He's close to the last, but he did what was, is evil in the sight of God. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and he besieges Jerusalem, the first of three times that he came. You know what a, a siege is? It's when you have teenagers in your house and they just, you're under siege. Just, just, just seeing if you're paying attention. The refrigerator's under siege if you have guys, boys. They surround the city until the city gives up, surrenders, or they breach the wall. And it tells us, look at this, the Lord delivered the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God did this. He took the articles of the temple he carried off to his own temple in Babylon. He takes the treasures there. And then we read what we read before. The king tells his chief his chief of staff, so to speak. I want you to really um, get some, some people together and let's identify people from the royal family, people from the nobility, people that, that have means. And look for those who are without physical defect. They're healthy and they're good looking. They're handsome. This, this helps us understand Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. I don't want anybody in my court that is, oh, you guys are so harsh, but you're right. You know, I don't want anybody that's sick. I don't want anybody that has low capacity. I don't want anybody that, that's, I want everybody to look good. I want everybody to be smart. I want them to show aptitude. I want them to be quick learners. I want them to be well-informed, well-read. They understand what's going on in our world. They need to know who I am and who Babylon is and what's happening today. And I want those who will be qualified. I can use them to serve me in my palace. And they need to learn the language, and they need to learn our history. They need to know the literature of our, of our, of our kingdom. And I'll pay for, the, I'll, you know, we'll move them into dorms. I'll provide teachers for them. I'll provide food for them. They'll, they'll eat the best of the best. They'll eat what I'm eating. And we'll train them for three years, and after that, then they're going to enter my kingdom. And we're told in the record that among some of these that were chosen is a man named Daniel, a man named Hananiah, a man named Mishael, and Azariah, and he gave them new names. It's interesting, most of us know them by their new names. Not Daniel, right? I mean, if, if I had started this morning, said, okay, name me the three friends of Daniel. I don't know if anybody would have corrected me and said, well, his name was changed to Belteshazzar. And I don't know if anybody would say, oh, their names were Hananiah, or their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You'd probably say they were Meshach, Shadrach, and to bed we go. Right, that, that's how we learned it as kids, right? So it's been immortalized in kids' songs and in church culture, but don't miss the fact of what's happening here. They're being for, forced to change their names. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Belteshazzar means Lord of the straightened treasure, of the compiled treasure. Hananiah meant God has favored me. Shadrach means the royal scribe. Mishael means who, who is what God is. This is a reflection of who God is. 
Meshach means guest of a king. Azariah means Jehovah has helped me. Abednego means servant of Nebo, the god of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I know that we don't do the same thing with names necessarily sometimes. But keep in mind, it was very significant, the name that you were given by your parents and the people of God. And you, you hear it in the meanings, right? They're not haphazardly just assigned. Daniel, your name is going to be Daniel. God is your judge. You're going to answer to God. God's going to use you in some way. And then the king gives them new names. If you're not yet connecting our day today to this day, let me help you. Daniel faced life-transforming changes. Life-transforming changes. Now, the Giants losing, winning five games is not life-transforming. Right? Right? Because the A's are, or the Dodgers are still on a terror. They're still leading the division. Nobody's going to catch them. The Giants losing three games. That's not life-changing. <laughs> Says the Cubs fan. Or the, the, yeah. But when the doctor says it's cancer and it's stage four, okay, that's life-transforming, right? That changes everything, doesn't it? When our spouse needs to be moved into special care, after how many years have you been married, Sharon? 51 years. And the doctor says he really needs more care. Let's get him into a place that'll take care of him. Is that life transforming? Yeah. You lose your job, can that be life transforming? Yeah. If your house all of a sudden becomes half its value as it did in 2008, can that feel like it's life transforming? What about when Zillow says it's worth three million now? <laughs> Sell it and move to Tennessee or whatever. You find out your teenager is making some choices that are potentially life-threatening. Is that life-transforming? If somebody, your, your authority, your government, your layers of authority suddenly tell you that who you thought you were is not who you thought you were, this is who you really are, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to live, here's what your rights are, your rights aren't, here's, here's what life is going to look like now. Can that be life-transforming? Yeah. Everyone around you seems sick. Some are dying. You just want to go, go have a pizza, and you can't. In fact, you're not even supposed to be, I don't know if you guys remember this, but you're not even supposed to be driving your car on the road. Anybody remember that? We had to write letters for our elders and deacons if they were going to help somebody get, get toilet paper. Remember, remember toilet paper? Did that feel life-transforming? <laughs> I heard you, brother. <laughs> uh, take all of them, put them all together, and mix up an evening diet of the news that just keeps reminding us of what we're doing to each other and how we're harming each other and how we're not there for each other. Just mix that all up, and does that feel overwhelming? Is that life-transforming change? It is, and we can only, we, we're not made to live necessarily in that, in that type of, of, of world, and at some point, it becomes overwhelming. 
And if we took time, and maybe you'll do this this week, I would encourage you, reflect on these verses that we've read and just, okay, what did this mean for Daniel? How did his life change? Well, he's now facing these changes. At a, at, it happened suddenly. It happened all, they, and they just kept coming. And he wakes up one morning, and he's sleeping in a strange place. And, okay, at least there's these, my three friends, and we're, maybe there are others. But we're, now we've got different clothes on, and now we're going to eat different food, and now we're, we have a new task, a new job, a new life. We need to learn a new language. We need to understand a new history. Where's my family? Where's, the, where's my temple? Where's my access to worshiping God? Where's my little sister? Where's my grandparents? Where are people at? Who's alive? Who's not alive? And he's facing a, a season in his life that is filled with life-transforming changes, and it's not just one, it's all of them together. I also thought about this. I want to encourage us to think, too. He found himself now, all of a sudden, he's in the cultural minority. He went from Jerusalem, Judea, where the, the majority worshipped Jehovah. They were, they were in sin, right? They weren't, but everywhere he looked, there were reminders of who Jehovah was. The temple, his daily life, the Sabbath on Saturday, all these things put him in the majority of his culture, and now he is in the minority. And he went from having whatever rights and whatever privileges, because remember, he clearly comes from a family of royalty or privilege. Whatever he had is now gone, and he's no longer in the ruling class or in that part of, the, of his culture. He now is the minority. And for some of us, and you know who you are, for some of us, having our voice taken away is overwhelming in and of itself. For others, to go from thinking that you're on the right side to now being what everyone around you is telling you, you were on the wrong side, and now this is how you're going to live, can be overwhelming. For some of us, being told that you, I know you've been known as Daniel, but now, and and I know that your name means God is your judge and you have this relationship with God. But from now on, you're going to be known as Lord of the straightened treasure. You're going, to be, you're going to be this official in Babylon and your role is going to be this. For some of us, being told that you're not who you thought you were and in fact you now need to take this name would be overwhelming. I could just keep piling it on, can't I? But the reality is, for many of us, this, this is where we have felt like we've been living. Everything that we've known, everything that we thought we could depend on has, has changed. And I, I'm not saying that it's true, but many of us lived like following Jesus was the, was the popular thing, or it was the accepted thing, that it was okay to publicly live out your faith in Jesus Christ, and speak of this amazing good news of what Christ did for us, the whole world, that he loves the whole world. To follow him is the best thing you can do with your life. He loves you, and he has this plan. And we, we kind of just lived like that was, that was mainstream, right? That was part of our culture. I mean, how many times have we said, you know, this country's been founded on, was founded on, Christian principles, or this idea, the, the freedoms, follow Jesus. And it feels like that's gone. He found himself in the cultural minority, not only that, but Daniel stood at a life-defining crossroads. And we haven't got into the, the option that he has, but I hope you picked up there in those opening verses that the king says, here's Daniel's new life. 
This is what I want you to tell him to do and to be and to dress and to eat because here's his future. Is he going to choose that path? Some of you know how this goes, right, this story? Or is he going to choose a different path? The reality is Daniel was standing at a crossroads. He had to decide which path his life would take because everything had changed in his life except for his responsibility to God. God remained the same. But what also did not change is his responsibility to God, his, his relationship with God. What's he going to do? And then there's this added challenge that he faced, and I've had conversations with many of you, so I know this is true today for us as well. Daniel's living right in the middle of this tension between human free will, the ability for human beings to make choices. Nebuchadnezzar made a choice. The, his army made a choice. He lived, he's, he's living in the, the aftermath or the, the, the mess, if you will, the tension between human free will and a sovereign, holy, gracious God. How do I reconcile? I'm Daniel. Did you, did you see what it said in your Bible? It says the same in mine. The Lord delivered them into this moment. And we said, well, of course he did, because how many years have they been? But be Daniel for a moment. And you're living your life, and all of a sudden all this happens. How does this happen? How do leaders make the decisions that they make? How is it that other people can make choices that impact me? From a distance, authorities, government, education, doctors? Or what about those that are close to me? What about my spouse? What about my my children, my grandchildren, what about my coworkers? How, if God is sovereign and he's good and he's gracious, how do I explain that the temple just got ransacked and people got killed by the, by the handfuls and people got deported? Everything in life just changed. Where's God? I thought he was righteous. I thought he was holy. I thought he was all these things. You with me? Daniel lived in this tension between human free will and the sovereignty of a holy and righteous God. Is that enough to be overwhelming? It was to me this week studying it, but on top of that, just thinking about, thinking about my life, thinking about you, praying for you, thinking about those that I know, the people in my life, and then stepping back and, and I don't recommend this, watching the news reading the news and looking at our world. I, I had some interaction with some of my, my friends in, in Africa this week, and they shared what's going on over there. And it just it gets bigger and bigger and bigger to where I'm just sitting there, God, I am so overwhelmed. What do we do? What do we do? Look at verse 8. Daniel, well, I need to read but. You know that interpretation principle, right? If there's a big but there, make sure you stop and say, why is there a but there? Why is the, but, everything I just read, however, if you don't like the word but, and, you, and I know some of you don't, however, but Daniel, in all that we just unpacked, determined in his heart, he resolved, he literally made up his mind, he made a decision not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. He made a choice. Here's what's happening in my life. 
Here's what's being presented to me as to how I should live. Does our world, does our society, does our own, the own vo- our voices in our own head, the people around us, people on Facebook, people on whatever, are they all not telling us how we should live in today's circumstances? You cannot look anywhere. You can't even go to the store and see the magazine titles, the articles in the magazines, or the ads on Yahoo, or wherever it is that you go. There's always people saying, this is who you are. This is who you should be. This is how you should deal with what's happening today. Here's the answer. And Daniel's being told, he's being ordered, this is how you're going to live. This is what you're, how you're going to respond to what's happened to you. Here's how you're going to dress, eat. Here's your name. Daniel needs to make a decision. Is he going to respond to that, or is he going to choose a different path? You remember Jesus in his ministry, he, de- he described two, the two choices. Do you remember? He said there's a wide road, an easy road. Why is it easy? Because it's always easier to just comply. It's always easier just to go with the flow. It's always harder to choose the narrow path. It's harder to live in the minority we all want to some extent, we all want to be affirmed. We all want to be, you know, I want to be affirmed that I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> After what the days, you know, last year was pretty cool, you got to admit. I want to be affirmed in whatever choices I make. I want to be supported. I want people to go, yeah, you know what you're doing. You got it. And the whole world says this is, every influence is saying go this way. And Jesus says, that's wide, that's easy, and most people are going to take that. But he said, the end result, where that leads is death. There's a narrow path. What do you mean it's narrow? Well, it's not subjective. It's not even tolerant. Because truth is not tolerant. It's hard for me to say it. It's hard to accept it. But truth is not tolerant, is it? When When you pay for something and it's five bucks and you give them a 20, what do you expect back? Oh, come on, you're so intolerant. Let me just give you 10, okay, and I'll take. It's not tolerant. And he said the path is narrow and it's hard, but that way leads to life. And Jesus says, choose it. Daniel hadn't heard those words. Jesus hadn't said them yet. But he's facing this wide road, this narrow path, and he chooses not to defile himself. He chooses to obey the law that God had given his people, dietary laws that made them stand out as God's people. And it says God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told him, the official said, okay, man, I get it. I understand your dietary law. I know, man, life has been really hard for you. I really, I get it. Man, I, I, I don't know where your family's at. I'm sorry, I looked. I know, and and the, your new name, I know you don't like it. I know, I, everything has changed. I, re, oh, I feel so bad for you. Do you see it? He has sympathy for Daniel. But he says, Daniel, you got to understand something. I'm afraid of my Lord the King. I'm afraid of Nebuchadnezzar because he told me this is what you're supposed to eat and drink. He doesn't care about your, your, your laws, your, your rules. He doesn't care about your God. Why should he see you looking worse if I don't have you eat this food and you're skinny and you're no longer healthy and you're no longer looking good and, and capable and you can't pay attention, you can't learn. If that happens and you're looking worse than the other men your age, the king would then have my head. This is my job, Daniel. I got, I, I, ah, Daniel, I have sympathy, but I don't know what to do. And Daniel says to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah says, please, let's do this. Can you do this? Let's, let's just do a test. Can we try something? Let's just, for a period of time, for 10 days, just give us vegetables and water. 
And then at the end of those 10 days, compare our appearance. Take a look at us, give it a, do an examination, ask us some questions, how many fingers am I holding up? Just whatever it is, look at our appearance and our performance and compare them to the young men that are eating all these other things. And then you decide, you treat us, you decide what to do in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed and he tested them for 10 days. I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to miss, what do I do when I'm facing life, when life is overwhelming? It begins with Daniel determining to live by faith in that overwhelming day. He determined that he would live by faith in uncertain times. He would not let go of his hope in God. If, if we, we don't have time, but if you just imagine with me for a second, in his mind, his picture of God, his view of God and who he was to God, in spite of all of his circumstantial changes and challenges and tests, that did not change. Who he believed God to be the day before this happened was who he believed God to be after this happened. You, you tracking with me? And can we just be honest and real that that's really hard and that often we don't respond that way? I'll, I'll lead you if you're willing to stand with me. Like, are you kidding me? Three games in a row? No. Are you kidding me? Ga Diesel has always been cheaper my than gasoline my entire life. And I'm old. I'm going to buy a diesel truck. Go ahead, laugh. There you go. <laughs> it's more expensive. And are you kidding me? Now, that's silly, right? But God, what are you doing? You know how much it costs me to fill up my truck? What are you doing? And those are, those are superficial, silly, temporary things. But there's other things that are not, that are deep, and they're life-transforming. And we say, God, really? Stage four? They did what? What's happening? I don't know, God, if I can trust you. You're going to leave me up here all by myself. Thank you, brother. I don't know if I can trust you. Daniel determined in his heart to live by faith, and the reason he did that, because he still believed that he could trust God even in the midst of what he was facing, and he was gonna hold on to God. He was gonna live by faith, even though he didn't have answers. I was thinking that this morning. I got here early, and I was thinking, like, I would love to give this group of people that I'm a part of, that I love, and we got some guests here this morning. So glad to have you. I would love to just give you answers. What in the world's going on in our, in our planet? I have one answer. If you know God and you put your faith in him, my answer is this. He's still the same God today as he was yesterday and last year and in the 19th or the 20th century when I was born. If you don't know God and you're here and you're just like, I'm here because I got invited or I'm here because, was that me? You're here because you were invited or you have questions or you're seeking or maybe you're angry or maybe you just don't, you're trying to figure out what is going on in this world. I'm just trying to live my life. I'm trying to lead and love my family. I'm just trying to do a good job at work. I'm just trying to provide. I'm just trying to enjoy life. What is going on? I say with all humility and, 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 and hopefully clarity, there's only one answer in these kinds of moments and that is that God loves you he still loves you, he's still sovereign, and his plan for us is still good. But that requires faith. Daniel 
determined to live by faith. Number two, Daniel was convinced that God was present and that he was still sovereign. I bled into that thought. Daniel was convinced that God was still present and that he was still sovereign. He's still in control. And thirdly, Daniel was determined to find his identity in God. You can take me out of my home. You can do terrible things to my family. You can destroy my, my, my system, of my, my, the way that I, I know how to come to God. You can take all those things away. You can give me a new name. You can put new clothes on me. You can try to force me to, to eat something different. You can train me. You can give me a new job. But here's what you can't do. You cannot take away my identity in God. I'm still who he says that I am. He is still who he is, and I am still who I, I am to him. I'm still his son. I'm still part of his family. And I may look different. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to have a different accent. I'm going to have a whole new life. But Daniel was determined to find his identity, who he was in his relationship with God. You still tracking? Okay. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other men who ate the royal food. Is that a miracle? It is, unless you're a vegan or vegetarian and you're saying, no, see, I told you, (laughs) right? Get on board. They looked better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food, no longer tried to get them to eat it, and the wine they were to drink and gave them instead vegetables. To these four young men, here's what God does in the moment. God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds. He... Remember Nebuchadnezzar said, I want people with this capacity? God says, hold on, I'm gonna show you my standard of capacity and what I can do through somebody who has surrendered to me. And he gives them understanding in all kinds of literature and learning, all areas. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Is that gonna be important in the coming days? Okay, if you know the story. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in. So the three years goes by and they pray. It's graduation and they bring these young men and they're in the Babylonian clothes and they have the hat and they have the, maybe the facial hair or whatever, I don't know. And they prayed them before the king and he's gonna ask them questions. He talks to them and he kind of trying to figure out who is, is the most capable and who's gonna, I want you to be this and I'm gonna have you serve this way and oh, you're gonna be my advisor. And, you're, and so he's just, he's testing them. And he found none of them equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there in the service of the kings until the first year of King Cyrus. What's the point? One point is that God responds, he blesses Daniel's determination to live by faith. God blesses his decision to live by faith. And some of you this morning, I'm convinced that's why God has you here. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not. Maybe you're new and just a guest, or maybe you've been here 20 years. Some of you needed to hear that this morning. You're right there on that edge and, and you're, you're living in, a, in an overwhelmed world and you feel overwhelmed in your faith and you needed to hear this morning how God responds to the simple, humble person who says, I'm going to live by faith. I can't answer. I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix the things that's wrong in my world, but what I do know is that God is still who he's always been and I'm gonna live by faith. I'm not gonna live in denial because it's hard, and I gotta make some tough choices. 
Did you notice how Daniel responded, how he interacted with those who were responsible for the changes and the challenges and the pain in his life? Did you catch it? This, this middle manager says, Daniel, man, I feel bad for you. I know how we do things and, and how we're building this empire, and I know how destructive we are. But I got to tell you, man, it's going to cost me my life if I... And Daniel goes... What, did he, like, yell at him? Did he, did he go on Facebook and said, guy, the guy that's, you know, man, and he, he kind of... He said, hey, what if we try this? God blesses Daniel's determination to live by faith. And we're only, we're, we, we're not even seeing it yet. We're gonna see it in the coming weeks. That God blessed Daniel's determination to live by faith and he used him as a voice of unshakable hope in very uncertain times. You realize that in 2022, we're still studying the life of Daniel and we're still benefiting from what God did in him and through him to be an unshakable voice of hope. Would you agree? Right? It's like, wow, okay. These are rough times. I'm living in rough times. But look happens, what can happen, what God can do if I just say, you know what, God, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna be a, a voice of unshakable hope. I'm gonna ask you to do a couple things. I told you to get ready to write some things down. You ready? You gotta listen really quick. Number one, Here's where we need to start. I'm gonna ask you to do what I did this week. Identify the circumstances that are eroding or imploding your hope. Because we all got a big long list, right? Are we together, are you tracking with me? We all, we all have a list of things that we're facing. And if we really broke it down, we'd find out that gas prices aren't an issue for this person. For another person, my favorite restaurant's closed and I can't get my food, that's an issue. For others, it's health, it's right, it's, right? it's the, 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 the email from the doctor, that's how we get it now. I had a test this week and I got a, an email that says, here's your results, and it's like, you know, that's how they do it. it, it you need to identify what, I've, I've got all these things, but this thing and this thing and this thing are what this moment, this circumstance, this circumstance is what's really eroding my hope. Will you do that? You may not be able to do it in the, in the minute that you have here this morning, but please, when you go from our gathering over the course of this week, make a list of the circumstances, the moments, the events that are eroding and imploding your hope. Number two, I want you to complete a sentence with me. I am Groot. Oh, no, sorry. I just watched that this week with the grandkids. If you're smiling, you know what that is. If you're not smiling, you're just older and you don't have grandkids. Or you're not a Marvel fan or whatever. I am blank. Now, be on, please be real. This, you're not going to be asked to give the answer. I'm a failure. I'm, 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 I've been told for a long time now, and I look at my bank account, I look at my family, I look at my job, I'm a loser. I'm a quitter. I got this long trail of moments that I just, I ran away, I gave up, I quit. I'm not loved. Nobody would miss me if, when I, if I was gone. I am blank. So, well, is there anything good to put in there? Yes, there is. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28? He said, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why is that significant? 
Why, why do we talk about being empowered at this church and the, and the idea of knowing my identity? Because I can answer this question very simply. I am a child of God. I am a son of the Father. Because I earned it? Because I just, no. Because he adopted me, he chose me, and adopted me into his family through what his son Jesus did on the cross. I am a child of God. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple maker for Jesus. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, believe it or not. What he said, we just saw it in Joel. Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, we see it unfold. I am blank. Why does it matter? Because here, here's, here's the truth. Everyone, young, old, I want you guys to really make, get off your phones if you're over here. Quit talking to each other. It's not just you, it's the old people too. They're on their phone. Hear, hear me. The decisions that you and I are making on any given day reveals what you truly believe about your identity. The decisions you're making with your time, your money, and your relationships, what you're doing on your phone, what you're, who you're talking to, what you're watching, what you're saying, how you're responding in the moment to pain, to challenges. Every decision we make is a little glimpse into what I believe, who I believe I am. You see why it's important? The decision that Daniel made reflects, tells us who he believed he was who he believed he was to God. Complete the sentence, I am blank. And then finally, I'm gonna ask you to join me in following his example. Determine to embrace the identity that Christ has given you or for some of you wants to give to you that maybe you haven't accepted yet. Determine in your heart, as Daniel did, that I'm going to embrace who I am in Christ, who he says I am, and I'm gonna live in, in alignment with who he says I am. All my decisions, how I choose, what I choose, how I live. Are you with me? Okay, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm kind of encouraged because a lot of you are looking down, writing things down, so that's good. But hardly anybody said they were with me, so maybe. Okay. More importantly, are we with him, right? Identify the circumstances that are eroding or imploding your hope. It's important. Point them out. Come to terms with them. Acknowledge them before God. Complete the sentence, I am a child of God. I am a disciple maker for Jesus. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am God's beloved. You, you fill it in. And then determine that your choices, the way you live, is going to be a reflection of embracing your identity in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, you came, and you don't have an identity in him, you're looking for your identity. You're trying to figure it out. Awesome. There's so many people that don't even care about that. They're not even trying to. If you're here and you say, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out where I fit in. Who am I? Why am I here? Why, is this, why am I here now at this time? That's awesome. God hears that. And his response to you is, I have an identity for I want you to know who you are to me. Determine in your heart that you're going to embrace the identity Christ has given you or wants to give you. I'm gonna invite our team, our worship team, to come up. And as they're coming up, this begins a, a, a time of, of response. And we say this a lot, and I, and I know anytime we say something a lot, it's easy to kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, blah, 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 he keeps saying that. But let, hear, my, hear my blah, blah, blah one more time at least until next week. 
This is an opportunity for us to take whatever it is that God's given us and to respond. And here's what's going to happen. There's going to be people up here, and they're gonna, there's going to be words on the screen, and we're going to be invited to sing. Be careful that that just doesn't become a church thing that you do in church. Engage this moment. Look at those words. Listen to those words. Sing them if it's true for you. Sing them if you want it to be true for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him, he has a special invitation for you at these tables. That we come and we eat a piece of cracker, a piece of bread and a drink, and you're like, what in the world's going on? This is something Jesus said I want you to do because I want you to remember who you are to me. When I eat that piece of that cracker and that bread, God speaks to me and says, this is who you are. I died for you. My body was broken for you. My blood was poured out for you. Why, Jesus? Because I love you. And I want you to be in my family. I want you to be with me forever. I want you to know my presence while you live in that crazy world. I want you to know your identity, who you are. And so I really needed you to understand who you are to me. So I gave my life on the cross. And Jesus invites his disciples to come and remember. Remember who he is. Remember who we are. Remember, maybe for some of you, you come to the table this morning as a follower of Jesus, you just need to remember that Jesus is still the same today as he was last week. Or last month. Embrace your identity. There's going to be people in the back, and I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would move to the tables in the back. Because sometimes we need to just stand with somebody else. Are they going to have all the answers? No. In fact, they may not say anything to you. You say, you may not know what to say. Has that happened to anybody? You come back and you go, I don't know what to say. I just, and they'll pray for you. And they'll lift you up to God. Don't, don't miss this moment. We just have a, few, we have a few minutes left together this morning. This is our moment to respond to what God has spoken to us about. You bring him your life. You bring him your decision. You bring him your confession. You bring him your brokenness. You bring him your worship. You bring him your life. We live in overwhelming days. That's just the truth. We can either feel sorry for ourselves and choose that wide path, try to find an easier path. I have a button on my desk from, I don't remember what commercial, but it says, who said it? That was easy. There's a voice. I push the button and go, that was easy. Aren't we looking for that? We're looking for relief. We're looking for the easy. Jesus says, be careful. Because there is a wide path and it looks more comfortable and everybody's welcome there and you can bring whatever you want to bring and do it your way on that path. But it leads to death. Choose the narrow path that leads to life. Are you encouraged? We live in overwhelming days. But God has made it possible for us to have unshakable hope in these overwhelming days. And that's going to be our journey over the next six or seven weeks as we walk through the book of Daniel. Let's do it together. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's bring him what he's asking us to bring him. Please.